Death, taxes, and the Atlanta Braves whooping the New York Mets. The Mets went down to the ATL and looked great on Monday and then showed us their true colors on Tuesday and Wednesday, losing 7 nothing Wednesday, losing 3-2 Tuesday. They lose 2 out of 3 and finish the season 3-10 and against the first-place World Series contender Atlanta Braves. What the heck happened this week? And can Pete Alonzo be moved, and should he be moved this offseason? Also, Shohei Otani's coming to Queens this weekend, and he won't be pitching, but you'll get to see him hit, and that'll be a series to watch for. We got all that and a whole lot more to talk about, and to do that, I'll be joined by the Till Mets Do Us Part podcast crew. That's John Sapinaro. And Matt Ibanez, they both will join me. It's all coming up next on a new edition of Amazing But True from the New York Post. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, Mets take the field. So amazing, amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you. Welcome back to Amazing but True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Jake Brown. Follow me on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio. Follow the show at Amazing but True. Figgy, of course, will be back on Monday. And Friday, the Angels come to town for Mets Angels. And if there is a rain delay, yes, I will be co-hosting with Figgy on PIX11. So tune in 7 p.m. If there's a rain delay right now, AccuWeather saying around 55% chance of a thunderstorm in the 7 p.m. hour. So all we need is like a little 30-minute delay. It's a 7-10 game. Push it back to like 7:40, And then 7 to 7.30, you'll get amazing but true, but on TV as we talk all New York sports. So praying to the weather gods i'll do the rain dance on thursday night and hope for that on friday joining me in just a minute will be a little mets podcast crossover till mets do us part john sabanaro and matt abanez uh they do a good job with their pod i was just on their pod today so we're doing a little pod on pod crime as everyone's on each other's pod after the mets do what they do best against the Atlanta Braves, where they are 3-10 and on the season after their loss, 7-0 Wednesday. Everyone wanted to get their panties in a bunch on Monday night when the Mets scored 10 runs, like the Mets always do. They forget to recycle them over to the next few nights. They lose 3-2 on Tuesday. They get shut out 7-0 Wednesday to Charlie Maddox. Oops, I mean Charlie Morton. 11 strikeouts through seven innings, Charlie Maddox. Greg Maddox was up in the booth watching. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Five guys in the broadcast booth, Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox, Francoeur, and McCann. And not the McCann that we know. It was Brian McCann, the one who had a very good career, who the Mets fans know very well. So Maddox watched Morin look like him, a Cy Young winner, a multi-Cy Young winner. The Mets had nothing going except DJ Stewart, who, yes, he's been almost the hottest player on the team right now as he's vying to pay for more diapers. As he says, he says he loves to play because his diapers are expensive. 
I have no children, so I cannot relate. But that's me for eating, eating food, eating, ordering in. It's expensive. So I get it. Those Pampers diapers get pricey. And my brother knows. My brother just had a baby and he says he poops like 10 times a day. So, you know, for us adults, that's just called a lot of Chipotle. But for babies, a lot of diapers. So, you know, TJ Stewart doing a nice job in his fill-in role. But the Mets had nothing going on Wednesday. They lose two out of three down in Atlanta. Stewart's been good. Vogelbeck's been a little bit better as he homered on Tuesday. Monday, Ortega joined the home run parade. Lindor homered. But overall, this is a pretty lousy series, as we expected, as the Mets fall 10 games under 500. They wanted to tease you after money. They get within seven, six and a half. They're like, hmm, can they do this? Well, now it's back to eight. They get an off day Thursday before Shohei Otani and the Angels come to town for a three-game set. Shohei Otani, who left the game pitching-wise and hitting in game one of a doubleheader on Wednesday, was in the lineup game, too. I mean, this guy's just incredible. And it seems like barring a some kind of injury or they rest him, he will play at City Field this week and not pitch, but he will presumably be the DH for maybe all three games. So that should put some fannies in the seats. And Friday's Kodai Sanga Day on his ghost forkball day. Now, if there's this rain delay and there's rain in the forecast, someone's going to have to get me a ghost forkball because I kind of want one of those. And again, the reason you're going to a lot of these games are those promotions. You know, we'll be on the lookout for an extra glow-in-the-dark ghost forkball. But the Mets have us left in the dark at 10 games under, six weeks to go. The service time day passed on Mauricio. He's still not here. So it could be a September call-up at this point. And we will find out what September holds, what prospects come up. You didn't get a prospect, but you got the return of the human pitching toilet sitter and Sean Reed Foley, who looks like he has taken a dump when he gets out of the mound. But congrats to him. Uh, Post-Tommy John surgery 15 months later, he is back in a New York Mets uniform. So good for him making his return. Edwin Diaz also might make a late September return, which I would hate. But we'll see if they actually put him in. And uh, that's pretty much it in Metsland. So let's welcome in our special guest now. That is John. You know, it's a tough name to say, John. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. John Sapanaro, or is it Sapanaro, or is it anything else? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I say Sapanaro, but I think it's because I'm from Brooklyn. A lot of people say Sapanaro, so that's fine. But I say Sapanaro. I like Sapanaro because I say orange and not orange. And I say Same. Florida, not Florida. <laughs> you know, it's not. I mean, it is the floor of the country in Florida, so I get it. It is Florida if you're a New Yorker. So uh, shout out to you. Follow him on Twitter at John Sapanaro. Now it's. <laughs> Now it's in my head. Now it's just in my head. John Sapanaro, Sapanaro, Sapanaro. There we go. Sapanaro. And his co-host on Till Mets Do Us Part, Poison underscore Ibby. That's Matt Abanez. No relation, right, to Raul or any, any of the above? Well, just to, uh, if we're going to play the correction when it comes to name, my last name, since it doesn't have the tilde, would be pronounced Ibanez. And it's okay oh. because the first name, the first time me and John did a show together, episode one, he did the same thing you did, mispronounced it, and then we corrected and we went from there. But believe me, I've been getting that my entire life, so I'm used to it by now. So it's, it's good. Ibanez. Ibanez, yes. Like the guitar. Like what, the guitar, yes. What is your background? Well, my my mother was Polish and my father was from Uruguay. Okay. All right. So, that's yeah. enough background talk. This isn't him. <laughs> 
but um, <laughs> but uh, I just want I was just curious because I was like, is, is he of Spanish descent? So I guess without the accent, you are not. So check out their pod on uh, Twitter, wherever you get podcasts. You guys live stream on uh, YouTube. But guys, you know, the Braves have the Mets number and it seems like they're going to have the Mets number for the next decade because it's a graphic they showed on the broadcast. It's a graphic I keep thinking of. And that's just how many Braves players are locked into contracts at TJ Maxx discounts. I mean, every guy they're getting underpaid. Austin Riley is underpaid and he's the highest end at 20 million a year. But like Ronald Acuna is getting like 10, 11 million a year. And if he's on the market now, he's getting 30 million a year. And then on top of that, oh, here's 5% to the Atlanta Braves Foundation. Give it to charity as well. I mean, you're already a charity service getting these deals. Does it frustrate you watching, one, these games and constant losing to the Braves, and two, just how good of a core the Braves have to the point where, yeah, maybe the Mets will contend in coming years, but, man, it's hard for me to see them win this division because this Braves team's like 40 games over 500. Uh, it bothers me. Uh, it's bothered me my entire life. I'm uh, about to be 37 years old, so the Braves have been, you know, the thorn in my baseball side forever, basically, for my entire existence. It's admirable what they've been able to do in terms of identify talent and lock that talent into deals. I think Gary Cohn was talking about it on the broadcast a little bit. I kind of uh, just blacked out for some of that (laughs) broadcast and stopped listening to it. But, you know, he mentioned how, you know, they're able to identify these guys, even on other teams like Olsen and Murphy, who they value very highly and they get them over here and they extend them right away. Part of me says cap off to them for being able to do that um, and being able to get those deals done. Part of me does say they're really kind of screwing these guys over. You mentioned Acuna, especially Albie's. Albie's deal is for like $40, I think. I think he makes like 40 bucks a year. So, they got him at the Dollar Tree. I'm convinced he was yeah. purchased at the Dollar <laughs> yeah. Tree. I yeah, mean, it's $8 bad. million a year for seven years. This guy's going to be a stud, Matt. Like, it is frustrating to watch. You just go through the lineup. And then on top of that, you got, you know, the most hateable guy hitting a home run every night this week. Oh, oh, Zuna, and he's not good like the song with our, you know, one of my favorite Spanish artists. Uh, he is just, another another thorn in our side is Marcel Ozuna, another Met killer. Adam of the list. Yeah, I mean, like, what do you go eight for eleven, four home, like a home run every night? It was just, it's extremely frustrating. And you know, I, growing up a Mets fan, obviously the Braves have been an issue the entire time and they're going to continue to be. And I think there was like a short period of time, obviously, where it was like, oh, the Phils were really good, but then they were like the team that we hated the most or the Nats for a short period. But it's right back to the Braves. And it's going to continue being that way, like you said, for the next, like we were saying before we went on, I was like, you know, five to seven years minimum. I think the only thing Mets fans can hold on to uh, as they are going through their own rebuild now and, and getting younger is that I, I think that the Braves are going to run into an issue once uh, Acuna, I don't know if he has an opt-out or once that runs out, he's going to want a lot more money. And the way that the Braves operate, it just seems like they're not going to pay that number. But then again, by the time he's up and they got to pay him, maybe all the other guys are done and they're ready to throw some cash to keep him. But I feel like that's the only thing Mets fans really have to, have to uh, really hang their hat on at the moment because, like you said, one through nine, it's just a very young controllable team that's going to be very hard to beat in the coming years yeah it's a while Acuna has a club option in 2027-2028 so uh he might be there for a while because the no way um they're going to get rid of that 17 million he'll get those years but yeah the Braves four homers in three nights for Marcel Zuna eight for 11 I mean just absolutely 
absurd. And like, if you're a betting person, the good move is to bet every player in their lineup to get at least one hit or to get two hits. Cause it felt like everyone in the lineup got two hits. And listen, Jose Quintana was due 20 consecutive starts where he did not allow three or more earned runs. His ERA is now inflated to, I think it's around three, seven. He's right at his career ERA for the season. Now he's been great. So there's nothing you could do. I mean, he was due to get rocked. And if it's going to happen against, you know, a team, the Braves are going to be that team because they just tear the cover off the ball. And that's why Tuesday and Monday were a little bit surprising Tuesday, you know, a couple more things on the Mets way. Maybe they win, but you know, McGill continues to be inconsistent. Peterson continues to be a bit inconsistent. He's been better, but I am not ready guys to shoe in Peterson in the rotation. And Peterson is still so much of an unknown as a starting pitcher that, you know, as we start to look ahead of what they're going to do in the off season, I'm not ready to put either of those guys anywhere near those five guys in the rotation. No, not for me. I mean, I don't like Peterson. I haven't liked Peterson the whole time. Ibby likes him a little bit more than I do, uh, to say the least. It To me, Peterson is the next guy in the line of uh, Mets left-handed pitchers that they drafted and developed that are supposed to be better than they are based on their stuff. Uh, Steven Matz comes to mind. John Neese comes to mind. People always get on me. Hey, John Neese did this. John Neese did that. It's fine. But John Neese should have been better uh, with the stuff he had. Uh, Matz obviously should have been better with the stuff he had even after Tommy John early in his career. I think David Peterson should be better. Uh, for, for Tyler McGill, that one frustrates me because a couple of years ago on our show, I was saying, and I know this is sacrilege and absurd, and I, I don't mean it as a one for one, but he reminded me of DeGrom. He reminded me of DeGrom the way he pitched. He was uh, high velocity, fastball, up in the zone, keeping guys off balance, mixing in good breaking stuff. And he's turned into a sinker slider guy and he can't get anybody out. Now he's more like John Main. He's somebody who, you know, throws a lot of pitches because he has no put away stuff. And it's it's really frustrating to watch. And, uh, you know, on our show, I have been very, 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 very critical of Jeremy Hefner. I know this week the Mets have just installed their their pitching lab that gets them, you know, caught up to some of the other best teams in baseball. And, you know, all this stuff was going to take time. But, man, when I look at Jeremy Hefner, I ask the question. I've asked it on my show. And, Jake, I can ask you, who has he made better? Well, Jeremy Hefner has to be fired with the season. Oh, the first yeah. inning struggles too are just off the charts this season. How bad? Like, how do you never have a starting pitcher, whether it's a future Hall of Famer in Scherzer, whether it's a future Hall of Famer in Verlander, whether it's Sanga, whoever it is, they have been bad in the first inning. And yeah, of course it's on pitching, but you can't just get rid of everyone. I mean, they already got rid of a couple of them. <laughs> but like, Jeremy Hefner's got to go, and Buck, who knows what what's going to happen, but. I'd be shocked if Jeremy Hefner, Matt, is back with his team just because, you know, that the ERA inflation, like you said, the pitchers like McGill and Peterson regressing and not developing. I mean, he's got to get canned. He was beloved, I feel like. I feel like coming into the season and in the offseason, everyone, especially within the organization, loved Jeremy Hefner. But now he's starting to look like what his career was, was just like a mediocre starting pitcher. Yeah, I remember mentioning it to John uh, when it first happened, when Buck got hired, or right before Buck got hired, we were talking about, you know, potential staffs and things like that. And I always, you know, I said, regardless of sport, not, not just baseball, but football too, or anything really, I always said that when someone new comes in, I like them to be able to pick who they want. Now, I know that before Buck was even hired, they made it a point to keep Jeremy and not let him go and not let him hit the open mark because they thought that he was someone they wanted to have on their staff. But I never liked 
arranged marriages in that sense. If it was something where they hired Buck and Buck said, yes, I want to keep him. I like what he brings. I want him on my team or whatever, or on my staff. I understand it, but I never liked putting someone in, you know, before someone has the opportunity to go out and say, hey, this is who I want on my staff. I want this person as my hitting coach. I want this as my pitching coach. When someone's just giving you and said, hey, make it work. We like him, so make it work. So that from the jump, I was always very skittish on it. But yeah, in terms of uh, the the lack of, I don't want to say stars, but just the lack of consistency really brought out uh, for the pitching staff under Hefner, it is telling. And I, I agree with a lot of points that John made. And yeah, I mean, coming into the season, I thought that David Peterson, as as a point of uh, as a point of uh, conversation, I thought he would have been a lot better. Um, you know, he was my pick this year to really step it up, and it didn't happen. And if you look at his career to this point, he's been up one year, down the next, up one year, down the next. He was kind of up last year. This year, he's back to being down. So, I guess if I want to make a prediction, it'd be for next year for him to come back up a little bit. But I'm with you in terms of saying I do not. As much as I think David Peterson can be a a helpful part to a team, not so much a you know a one through five guy, but a helpful part to a team, I still think um, a lot needs to be done to make sure that he is put in a spot where it's proper for him, and you're not asking too much of him. I forget that Hefner only played two years in the big leagues, both of the Mets. I don't know why I thought he had a longer career, but it was pretty he short. Only two and, years, wow. yeah, 2012 and 2013 in the big leagues. I'm sure he had plenty of years in the minors, but. Yeah, I mean, and you expect Stearns is going to bring in his own crew here. Like, I don't know if that means Buck's gone, but it would just be shocking if uh, he ends up staying. One positive in the bullpen, at least his stuff I like, and I'm curious to see more of him the next month to see if he can become a piece of the 2024 Mets bullpen is Sam Coonrod. He's got some electric stuff, and I think – he could actually be a legit piece. And, you know, there's guys like Bryce Montez de Oka coming in that we thought he would be another piece. Again, he gets hurt for the year. We'll see if he'll be back sometimes next year. But, like, those are two pieces that, you know, you join with Diaz. Maybe Raley's got an option. He comes back. Adovino option comes back. That could help out a beleaguered middle relief where we won't have to see a got, a Hartwig. The names go on and on and on. But I think he could be a piece of next year's uh, bullpen. I, I like Coonrod. I also, I know we you joked about it in the open, but um, I think Sean Reed Foley has a good arm. I'm not ready to say that that guy's, you know, entrenched in the bullpen in, in 2024, but I think having lost most of this season, I'm not ready to say that he's done for me either. He's a, he's the kind of guy that when the, the Drew Smiths of the world hopefully are out. You know, please, Sean Reed Foley. Please get rid of Drew Smith. Please. <laughs> Sean Reed Foley is the kind of guy that I could see, you know, gets, you know, he's there in spring training. I don't off the top of my head know what his options and his status are and, and stuff like that. But he's certainly a guy you could hold on to as a potential piece. Um, but I like Coonrod. I know Ibby likes Coonrod a lot. Yeah. And I would think their approach is going to change considering that right now they only have two starters locked in next year. So, they're going to realize, hey, we did a crappy job building this bullpen where Drew Smith was, once Diaz went down, Drew Smith was going to be an integral piece. And guys who didn't belong were going to be integral middle relievers. And it shows it was not pretty this season. And I think with, you know, a lot of uncertainties in the rotation, yes, they're going to fill those holes and they're going to sign starters, maybe trade for, you know, a big-time starting pitcher, whatever it's going to be. They got to realize they got to have, you know, seven good relievers. It's not just Diaz, Otto, Rayleigh, and then we'll patch it together. You got to have a bunch of good guys because you're seeing teams like, you know, the Rays just infusing young talent, new pitcher after new pitcher, guys you maybe never heard of. But like you said, they have 
better stuff than what the Mets have. And I think they're going to change their approach and Stern's going to change their approach. Bullpen is so important in today's day and age. You saw in 2015, the Royals bullpen and how lights out that was. I hate to bring that sad memory up because I was maybe the last one left in the ballpark. And they're like, kid, you got to get out of here. You got to leave the stadium. And remember watching that. But, hey, it was October baseball. Now you can book a chance to tee off in October. Go to the golf course at City Field. You can hit the driving range from the promenade level. Or you can see Burner Boy in concert. I mean, come on now. Like, October will be empty. Although there will be, I think, uh, October, November, the uh, like Caribbean baseball will be played at City Field this fall. So you can see baseball in the fall, just not New York Mets baseball. Jake Brown, amazing but true podcast with the Till Mets Do Us Part podcast. John Sabanero and Matt Ibanez. Ibanez. Second time. Ibanez. Ibanez. God damn it. What is that? All of your names. Can you just have a name like Jake Brown? Jesus, so much easier. Just saying Jake Brown. I always introduce my full name just because it just flows off the tongue and uh, it's easier to just say. So good to have you guys on. We have a couple more minutes here. The Mets Angels this weekend. Shohei Otani comes to town. That is something to watch for. Edwin Diaz, we just mentioned as a part of that bullpen. Are you guys in the boat of I'd love to see him late September to make sure he's good, see him a few innings? Kind of like how they brought Syndergaard back a few years ago for a couple innings late in the season just to see if he's healthy or good. In my opinion, I just rather you know see it's good on, on like on the on a field in port st lucie i i don't need to see it a game and risk losing him next year or do you guys you want to see him out there is there any excitement of maybe him back at city field this season in a meaningless september what is your thoughts on diaz i think he should pitch if he's healthy um it's not for and and there was a lot of controversy on our show last week when we talked about this I don't want to do it because I want ticket sales. I don't want to do it because I want to see him at city field and want the games to be more interesting. No. Um, I think if he's healthy, I think for his own mindset, he can get out there and throw a couple of pitches, throw a couple innings. Um, exactly like what you just mentioned, Noah Syndergaard from a couple of years ago. That's, I just want to see him on the mound kind of getting those I don't know, whatever you want to call it, jitters, all this stuff. Um, I want to see that. I want to see him be fully healthy in a game that doesn't matter for us. Now, that's only if he is 110% healthy. Um, but I think there is no harm in having him come out and throw, you know, an inning or two or whatever at the end of the season. Whereas I differed on this one and I said that uh, I didn't need to see him on a mound and throwing. And, you know, going through the entire process and the emotional roller coaster that it really was for him and knowing how hard you work to get back to something to him to get all amped up to throw. You know, he's going to get on that mat. He's going to try to throw the ball 110 miles an hour because he's so pumped up in a meaningless game against the Marlins on September 23rd. It's like I don't need it. Uh, I understand everything John is saying, and it's not a, a wrong thought process. It, it just differs in the one that that, that I feel how I would go about it. It's just like, I think you can simulate a lot of things in a bullpen session, stuff wise, mechanics wise, and things like that. Yes. The emotional uh, nature of potentially waiting until opening day, 2024 for him to come in and close the game. Yes. You can say that's a lot more amped up, but at the same time, I, I guess I could say I'd rather take that risk then as opposed to this meaningless game in a lost season now. So I would say just keep working, doing what you're doing. And then, you know, rest up, 
have a strong spring and then you know we'll see opening day in 2024 that's that's where i am on it i'm with matt because i mean i don't need to see two meaningless i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say wc meaningless because i know people get offended meaningless to the mets the wbc was and meaningless to the mets you know because they'll be out of the playoff race in september i just the thought of it happening twice in a year it already haunted me that night when it happened in march in the WBC, I was losing my mind. One of those things emotionally, you take a few days, you're like, all right, these players truly love the WBC. Some, unfortunately, in some cases, that's bad for these major league teams that they, you know, rather win there than the team that's, you know, paying them $20 million a year. But, you know, so be it. You have pride in your country. I get it. But I don't want to see it again with Diaz. Like, it's just, we, the, the Syndergaard situation was different. This guy was going to be a free agent. He was trying to get a contract. So he was probably pushing, hey, I need to prove that. I, so I'm good enough. Someone can sign me. Whereas, you know, there's no qualifying offer for Diaz. There's no free agency. He's locked in for five years, a hundred millis. So I don't think we need to see it out of him. Now, another guy we're not sure when we're going to see him in 2024 is Pete Alonzo. Will we see him in 2024? That's been the story this week. The juicy story of the week in Mets land. There's not much else juicy. So we got to address it. The what was it? Ken Rosenthal, the athletic story that came out about, you know, the, the terms it was in field goal. Or who knows if it was, you know, chip shot field goal range or Justin Tucker field goal range from 60 yards that the Mets and Brewers talked. In my opinion, with one year left on Alonzo's deal, with him not being the captain of this team, I think it's a disservice to not at least listen off or see what you can get. And get major league ready, guys. If you go out and get, and we talked about this on on your pod, and I think you got to see what you get for him. I mean, if you're only going to get prospects and guys who won't be a part of next year's team, don't do it. But if you get a piece that could be part of next year's team, along with one or two other pieces that'll be part of the team late next year or 2025 and beyond, I say do it. Because at the very worst, you can always sign Alonzo back in 2025 and pay him more money than anyone else and still bring him back to New York where he loves. But I see no harm in at least seeing what you can get for him. If the Mets are still going to be competitive next year, they're still going to need a whole lot of pitching. Having Alonzo and no pitching, is they're still going to be where they are now. They're not going to be very good. So, you know, I'll start with you, John. What do you think about the Alonzo situation? Look, I don't think we should trade Alonzo. Um, I think it's malpractice. I said this to you um, on our show today. I think it's malpractice as a GM if you don't listen. If you hang up the phone without even taking the call, I think that's wrong. So I think the Mets should always listen. But I think when you look at what Alonzo brings to this team offensively, he has one elite tool, and that's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And so the Mets are otherwise not very good at hitting the ball out of the ballpark in terms of proven power. It looks like Alvarez is going to be the real deal, but it's asking a lot to have a 22 year old catcher now turn up and hit 40 home runs. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he can hit clearly 20. He's already done that. I'm sure he can hit 30 to 35, but asking him to hit 40, 45, 50. That's what Alonzo has done. Alonzo hits 40 home runs waking up in in the morning on April. Like it's easy for him to hit 40 home runs. And there's an old adage in baseball that you can buy power. And I, I think that that's true, but I don't think that you can buy elite power. And I look at Alonzo as an elite power hitter in the sport. He's top five, top three, depending on your pick, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Schwarber, Pete Alonzo, you know, all these guys. Um, he's right in the conversation for, you know, top five best power hitters in the sport. And that stuff doesn't grow on trees. 
threes. Uh, so when I look at that, I look at him driving in runs, hitting home runs for the Mets. I think he's more valuable to the Mets. Um, I've put my high watermark at around $200 million. If Steve Cohen wants to spend more than that, it's his money. Let him spend more than that. I think the other comps, though, are, you know, Olsen, Freeman, Goldschmidt, and all those guys make less than – $200 million. They're all better players than Alonzo overall. So when I look at 200 million, I think that's a very fair deal. Now, if he gets offered 200 million and laughs in their face, well, that changes the conversation a bit. But I, I do think that Pete Alonzo is important to this team. And I also think that sometimes you have to do something for vibes, right? As Mets fans, we watched Doc Gooden's career go away. We watched Daryl Strawberry's career go away. For a different reason, we watched David Wright's career go away and Matt Harvey's. And we were the same team that traded Tom Seaver and the team that Jacob DeGrom walked from. Can we just have somebody that we've developed that is inarguably great at something that could be the best Met ever at something and just keep them? Is that too much to ask as a Mets fan? So part of it is on the field and part of it is just vibes, man. Just vibes. And, uh, and I would follow it up by saying a lot of people would end up attacking John on that mainly because what he's talking, what he's, what he's saying is not wrong at all. I, I feel the same way. It's like, you want to have like that quintessential, like met to break records and all stuff. And everyone's like, it's not about records. It's about, you know, winning ball games. Well, I still think Pete Alonzo is part of the solution. And I, I don't think he's part of the problem. Of course, there are other things out there, whatever they may be. But for me, from where I'm sitting, I think he's part of the solution. So the idea of picking up the phone when someone calls and and taking you know potential trade offers, I'm with you, Jake. Like that's the job of a GM. Like any player, I don't care who it is, you listen to anything someone's willing to talk to you about. So when I see you know that report, the thing, and I and I've said this on our show and I'll repeat it. The problem is no matter what the deal is, if they deal, if they choose to get rid of them, it's going to be ugly on paper. No matter what, no matter how you cut it, it's gonna look ugly because of what John was just saying. What he provides for this team from a vibe standpoint, from a power standpoint, from an overall just met standpoint, it's gonna look bad. And to follow you up again, Jake, I don't think they're going to get a player that is ready made uh in the return. I think you're getting prospects that might be a year or half year to a year away. Will they have high regard in terms of prospect ranking i'm sure that they would um as high as you could possibly go on a one-year deal but you know when i look at that rosenthal report again and i see oh they might be able to get one of these guys from the brewers and then other smaller ancillary pieces it's like no like you got to give me two of those guys if you want them because even at that point as much as i like those players that were mentioned it still makes me go "Mm, it's fine but it's it's really not because it's it's Pete Alonso. It's forty homers a year, and it's uh, it's going to take a little bit more. But it would be malpractice not to listen. I think they're going to continue to listen, and the main reason for that is when you look at the the free agent outlook this season, there's not a lot of offense. There's not a lot of bats outside of Cody Bellinger trying to cash in on a big year. So after that, it's slim pickings. So if you put an Alonzo on the market you can get a lot of good calls back. And depending on how this team wants to go, when it comes to the overall money that he might be asking for, this might be their time to cash in in terms of return if he does say no to their offer. What that offer is, I believe it's going to be somewhere in the 180s. I'd go as high as 215. If he says no on that, that's when those calls are going to continue to become a little more rampant in Queens. The Cubs are the other team, too, with a lot of good prospects. 
You know, there's reports saying that the Cubs are going to try to make an offer. You know, if Bellinger does become available, I would have zero issues replacing Alonzo with Bellinger. But the year Bellinger's having, he's been far better than Alonzo. Maybe not, you know, in the home run department, but the guy gets on base, you know, almost 40% of the time. And, you know, he's hitting 300 plus. Like, I would love to have Cody Bellinger here. So that would not be the worst replacement in the world. So we'll see what happens. A long offseason ahead. We'll see what Stearns wants to do. We'll see what Epler says to him. We'll see what, what happens behind the scenes. If any any stories come out, uh, looking forward to hearing. Maybe the back page of the New York Post will have a story. Uh, who knows? One day here in the offseason. But um, what are you guys watching for? You last month, you know, Ronnie Mauricio is still not here. The, the date passed. Will we see Mauricio? What the heck is going on? Or, you know, if he does come up, is that what you're looking forward to? You know, what's cooking here in the last six weeks of the Mets season? Uh, first of all, I love that you mentioned Cody Bellinger. I wanted Cody Bellinger this past offseason. I knew he was primed to maybe not break out this way and get closer to his former MVP self. But I just thought banning the shift and all those things. I was like, this guy is going to hit wherever he goes. So um, I would easily take him next year as well. Um, as far as the rest of this year, I'm just looking to see Jonathan Arauz. No, um, no one's looking for that. Yeah, it's got to be Mauricio, man. I want Mauricio back here. I want Beatty back here, regardless of what they do. I just want to see them. I don't want to see uh, Rafael Ortega and Jonathan Arauz and uh, Daniel Vogelback. Um, I don't hate DJ Stewart. You mentioned him in the open. Um, I think DJ Stewart is, is an intriguing player from a perspective of former first round pick. He's got some pedigree. I don't think he's um, bought himself a ticket to be on the Mets next year, but I think he's earning his way to a spring training invite kind of situation. You know, he hits, he knows how to hit for power. He's pulling the ball with authority. He's uh, not a great fielder as we saw today against the Braves, God. you know, he's, or on the base pass, the guy fell over yeah, outside. Yeah. How do you get picked off? How do you get picked off in second? He was falling over. Like he fell over almost more times than he had hits, which he looked like he might have needed some of his kids' diapers when he (laughs) crouched down and fell over. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't look great. But like, you know, in in terms of if he's going to be the the 25th, 26th man on your bench, potentially, I think he offers you more than a guy like, let's say, Daniel Vogelback, because he can go out there in the field. He owns a glove. Is he going to win a gold glove? Certainly not. But you could put him in left. You could put him in right spot start. You could have uh, you could do a lot worse than a left-handed bat coming off the bench. Um, sometimes getting a at bat, you know, or a game here or there as a DH. So I just think that the, he brings some stuff to the table uh, of all the replacement parts that are currently on the Mets. He's the most intriguing to me. But beyond that, you're absolutely right. Beatty should be here. Mauricio should be here. If they're not sure about Mauricio playing second or playing third or playing left field or whatever. I think you put Mauricio at third. It's the position he has taken to the most, according to what everybody says. And then you put Beatty out in left field, a position that he hasn't looked terrible in. The games don't matter. They're not going to be worse in the field than DJ Stewart. I promise you these guys will not be falling down. They're not going to be missing balls under their glove like Danny Mendick did today at third base. And if they do, at least you say, well, that's the future. It's not Danny Mendick. So I want Mauricio here yesterday, today, tomorrow. I want Beatty back. I had no problem with them sending him down when they did. He looked overmatched and confused like he needed a break. But he should be back. Mauricio should be here. And Alvarez should be starting 
the bulk of the games. Catchers don't play every day, but Alvarez should be playing, you know, five out of six, four out of five, whatever, six out of seven, whatever the math is that maths, that's what Alvarez should be doing. And all those kids should be playing, period. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, it's it's hard, like, looking at this team, like, to really get up and excited in terms of what to really look for in this final month. But, you know, for me, it's it, it, echoing the same things. I just said on our show previously, and I'll repeat it here. I, I, basically, I'll believe Ryan Mauricio actually exists when he actually gets called up and we can actually watch him play baseball. Um, I still question if it's going to happen, so I'm basically waiting until it actually does you know, actually happen. But I, I want to see Brett Beatty back. I want to see him, you know, if he makes the adjustments that are needed. Uh, I'm very curious to see if he changes his approach a little bit more so in the offseason to try and lift the ball a little bit more since uh, pounding the ball into the ground with a ground ball rate over 50% is not how to succeed in this game today. So hopefully, I, I think it's something that you can attack more so in the offseason. But it's looking at that, seeing how he does after being sent down, how he responds to that. But Honestly, that's that's really all I have in terms of the actual major league club. I, if I'm being honest, I, I'm more interested in seeing all the highlights that are being put out by, you know, by Michael Mayer and Joe DeMeo and seeing how all the guys are doing at the double A level because that's where all the excitement is right now. Like these guys are going out there getting three, four hits a game. Jet Williams and Drew Gilbert and Luis Acuna, like uh, Luis Angel Acuna, like that's where the excitement is. And it's it's a shame to say because you know I have a club you know, in New York that has the likes of Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso and, and guys like that. And it's just like, there's not a lot of juice around. And that's, that's, that's the upsetting part about it all. Drew Smith sent him on a rocket. Like he needs to treat hitters like their SI models. Strike out, strike out. You struck out, you struck out. <laughs> treat him like that. That's how you do well, Drew Smith, but not on this or get him out of here. Too much heart palpitations. And, you know, we talk about a lot of these position players and Cortez is another guy people are talking about in AAA who might get a chance, but we don't talk about pitchers. Vassal's the one guy we got to see. He's the pitcher everyone's talking about while he struggled a little bit in the minors. Like, we need to see if this organization has any pitching because they need a whole lot of it this offseason. And I don't think Vassal is going to be part of the rotation next year, at least at the start, maybe later in the year or a depth piece, but let's see him get five stars. I love cookie, but the cookie era is over. He's not back next year. He has struggled. I like the person I've talked to him on the field. He's a nice guy, but he's done here. So let's move on from that. I'll close with this. Cause I didn't mention it. Stay classy, Atlanta. You freaking loser fan base cheering when Pete Alonzo gets hit in the back and you investing money into a throw it again jersey, just, just <laughs> donating it to charity, getting a throw. And listen, I understand since that moment, everything's gone wrong for the Mets and everything's gone right for the Braves. I get it. It was a big moment. Coincidentally, it worked out that way. But to cheer a guy getting hit by a pitch, God forbid he gets hit in the head and was like seriously hurt, and they still probably would have cheered. It's alarming. And on top of that, you have the worst mascot in sports to the point the mascot's name is a joke. It's blooper. I mean, it is a blooper. It's an absolute clown show. It's a circus. And now he's there. He's tweeting now. He's got the picture of Gary Cohen's opinion jar written on a trash can. And you're really going to support a blooper over the goat of sports broadcasting. Get the hell out of here, blooper, and get the hell out of here. Classless Braves fans cheering for injuries. I don't care if you hate the guy. Don't cheer him getting hit. Because if you were in that box and you got hit by a 97-mile-per-hour fastball, you think your fellow fans would be cheering at you getting hit? 
Show some damn class. I don't care if you don't like the guy. That was absolutely wrong. And blooper, you suck. And you don't have Miss Met, the uh, the torculator, as she went viral for her padded butt. Uh, it is padded, as I confirmed the last episode. Uh, that is not real booty. It is paddage. And blooper could only wish he had a Miss Met in his life. I'll close <laughs> it with that. You can check out the Till Mets Do Us Part podcast, John Sabanaro. Matt Ibanez, let's go. 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 Last time is the charm. (laughs) Follow their pod on Twitter and on YouTube and follow them on Twitter at poison underscore Ibe (laughs) and John Sabanaro. Guys, uh, fun to do double crossover today. I am messed out. I'm going to go to Jets camp in the morning and I'm going to uh, enjoy the weekend of, you know, Otani and, you know, a potential future Met. We didn't talk about it because it's just not realistic, but let us pray him and Yamamoto are here with Sanga. It'll be a beautiful time in 2024 in Queens if that happens. And it should be a you know pretty crowded weekend, maybe the final crowded weekend at City Field. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having us, man. Thank it you was, so much, uh, man. Yeah, it was good to do the 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 double dip, you know, the the you're you're on our show, we're on your show, and it was uh, a day lot of fun double before header. the game, Good after stuff. the game. Day night doubleheader, perfect way day to play. Day night doubleheader. Yeah. I have go. nothing was, to add. That was perfect. <laughs> it was two nine inning games, and I am ready to be done with Mets talk. And I will close out this episode. Amazing but true. Next, this team is toast. All righty, great stuff there from the Till Mets Do Us Part podcast, boys. Appreciate them coming on. As that says, good night to episode 174 of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to Amazing But True on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe to the New York Post Sports YouTube page to watch all episodes of the show. Give us a thumbs up below. Comment, should the Mets consider trading Pete Alonso? And what are you watching for in these last six weeks? Let us know in the comments section. Let me know on Twitter, at Jake Brown Radio, at Amazing But True. Rain delay. Do the rain dance. Because if it does, there's a good chance you'll see me and Nelson Figaro, Amazing But True crew, on TV for 30 minutes. Talking all New York sports. New York needs it. So the pregame is supposed to be 6.30, picks 11, game 7.10. The show is usually 7 to 7.30. Now Malusis is off, everyone's off on Friday, so I am like the 12th string guy to fill in. And, uh, you know, I'm praying for rain because I think it would be really cool to have Amazing But True us on TV and doing everything. Hearing me and Figgy talk Jets, not just Mets, will be a must-watch. Set your DVRs just in case. And that 7 a.m. window set the DVR, Picks 11, Channel 11, New York City. Otani's coming to Queens this weekend. Enjoy watching him at least hit. He's not likely going to pitch because he pitched and left the game early after an inning on Wednesday. Enjoy that glow-in-the-dark ghost fork ball. You know, if there is rain, somebody get me that ghost fork ball. I'm going to need it. And then Sunday is the noon Peacock game. And me and Faye will be back on Monday for a new episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Amazing But True. And since the Mets lost, two out of three, we'll close with one of my favorite songs from the Mamma Mia soundtrack, and that's SOS. See you later. Petit poo.